If y'all would please stand with us, please worship together. thankful that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life we have a reason to worship and praise our mighty God amen amen well we are certainly glad that you are with us today uh, and have come to worship here at Pitts Baptist Church and we uh, especially are excited uh, for visitors uh, and if you are here this day as a visitor, we would love for you to take a care card that is in the pew back in front of you and fill that information out and slip it to one of our staff members or put it in the foyer of the sanctuary in one of the boxes that's available to do that. We would love to have recollection of your visit, but thank you for being here. 
Um, also, uh, there's on the flip side of that card, there's a place for anyone to write a prayer request. And if you are experiencing a need now and you'd like your staff to pray for that, uh, jot that prayer request down and turn that in the same way. But we are certainly glad that you are here today. Uh, today's a special day. Obviously, you can see that our epic praise band is leading worship. Uh, they did a great job on that first song and look forward uh, to them leading in the rest of this service. But also, uh, as we have one of our interns, uh, he is the intern that's been working in my area in student ministry this summer, Noah Deese is going to come and uh, preach the message this morning. Uh, we ha also have uh, had uh, another intern who was in our children's ministry. We'd asked them at the beginning of the summer, his name's Jackson Arno, uh, we asked Noah and Jackson if they would like to share a service in and, and preach a message in one service. And they both were like, no, we want, we want one service apiece. <laughs> we got some Pastor Scott's in the making, I believe. <laughs> so we're super excited to hear Noah today, and then Jackson Arna will be in, in two weeks. But I know that you'll hear them uh, prayerfully. Uh, it's just so good to know that the Lord is bringing up young men faithful to his service and you're going to hear one this morning and you'll hear one on the 31st also but uh just a note too that our, our interns this summer have done an incredible job uh besides Noah and jackson abigail barfield works in our children's ministry andrew layton uh works in our college ministry and aaron the guy's playing the piano he's sort of like our year-round intern so we just need to thank the lord for them and, and just continue to pray for them as the Lord grooms them uh, for uh, ministry maybe in future years. But we're so thankful for them. Let's just give them a round of applause for what they've done. So Noah, you got a whole big crowd behind you this morning, buddy. Hey, coming up July 25th to the 28th, it's a really big week for us. It's our VBS week. And if you have not registered your child, please take care of that. Matter of fact, if you register your student before July 2nd, uh, they will be entered into a drawing for a Lego set. So that seems really cool. So make sure that you get your child registered for July 25th through the 28th for Vacation Bible School. And then also, um, that week, we're going to be having snack suppers that start at 515. And we also need you to register for that. So make sure that you're getting registered for the snack suppers as well. And then VBS, it's for all ages. So we will have uh, VBS for adults as well in the chapel, same time. So uh, let's just fill this campus uh, full of people, children, adults, uh, ready and eager to hear uh, God's word. So we just hope and pray that you'll be praying for this event. Uh, and then next Sunday, we're going to kick it all off down in the core for worship service. So we won't meet in here for worship. We will meet in the core next Sunday for worship uh, at our regular time. And then that evening, uh, we're going to have a VBS kickoff event that involves ice cream, and Kevin Seeger and Pastor Scott getting slimed. So this is, this is sounding good already. So please, please come to that. Now, they did attach a number to it. Um, and these numbers, if, are, if we get 110 people at this event next Sunday night, Kevin Seeger is going to get slimed. If we get 214 people at this event, Pastor Scott's going to get slimed. I'm just glad I'm not a part of this equation. This is really good. This is going awesome. So these are not arbitrary numbers. Uh, uh, Kevin Seeger's birthday is January the 10th, so 1-10. And then Pastor Scott's is February 14th, 2-14. That's how they came up with these numbers. I'm just saying, if there's human beings that show up, let's slime them both, right? <laughs> so, hey, come anyway, and, and everyone pray. Pray about this week. It's going to be a good week here on the campus of Pitts Baptist Church. Um, and other announcements coming up uh, August the 23rd on Tuesdays from 9.30 to 11.30, we're going to begin a grief share class that will be here in the small fellowship hall. 
It's a program that features biblical concepts for healing in grief. Uh, and these sessions will be led um, via video uh, and led by experts in this field who have also gone through traumatic grief. So we would love for you to be a participant if you are dealing with that. Um, you can register at griefshare.org or you can contact Linda Bounds for more information. Uh, our deacon nominations are coming due next Sunday, so be praying about who you would nominate to be a deacon and serve this church. So those are due next Sunday. And then the Men's Be Strong Conference at Snowbird is coming up in September, September 16th to the 18th. The cost of that is $150. There's 25 spots available and so $50 hold your spot. So if you want to go, make sure you get that $50 deposit to, to Kevin Seeger just as soon as you can. Be praying for us too. Tomorrow, uh, we take uh, 74 of us to Snowbird for our summer camp. It's gonna be a great week. So we uh, cover your prayers for rest and uh, a good week of camp. Um, also, just want to make you aware of a couple families who are in need this week. Uh, Linda Harwood, uh, who is the mother of uh, Amy Hornbeek and Tracy Ashball, and they have another sister, Sherry. Uh, she passed away uh, this week, and uh, her funeral is going to be today at 3 o'clock at Shady Brook Baptist. So let's be remembering that family and supporting them. And then uh, Joel Hyatt passed away earlier this week as well, and his visitation is tomorrow at 11 o'clock uh, with a 12 o'clock funeral, and all of that is here. So. As we pray together, let's remember these folks. So uh, let's just take a moment. There's lots of things that I've talked about. Let's just take a moment. Maybe you need to silence yourself before the Lord. Pray for Noah. Pray for this service. Pray for VBS. Pray for whatever the Lord brings to your heart for a few moments, and then I will close us in a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Father, it is so good to be still and know that you are God. Father, we thank you that you tell us that you walk with us through valleys and through trials. And for these dear families who have lost loved ones, we ask God that your presence to them would be very real, that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that you are their comforter. You are the Prince of Peace. God, help them to know that in their time of need. Lord, we just thank you, though, for so many things that you have put before us as a church. Our youth leaving tomorrow for camp. We ask, God, that, that you would use that camp, the speakers, the worship, the small groups, everything that will happen there to point to you. Father, that would magnify the gospel. And Father, that folks would be drawn to the gospel as a result of the work of your Holy Spirit in our life. Lord, I do pray that you would keep us safe and keep us healthy and help us to have just an incredible week of worshiping you. And Lord God, I, I pray for VBS in the, in the, in the coming week. Uh, Lord, that you would use that, Father, to point people to yourself. Lord, that you would give energy and strength to all those that will be volunteering to lead and teach and prepare, God. And we just pray for the hearts of the young people and even the adults that will be in classes, that you would prepare their hearts to receive your word, that it would change their lives forever and for all eternity. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for how you're going to use VBS in such a real and such a powerful way. Lord, we bring to you this morning Noah. We thank you for him. Uh, the journey that you have him on, uh, Lord, we just ask that uh, you would use him in a very real and very powerful way to speak your message to your people. We ask, God, that uh, uh, the words that he says, Father, uh, have been given to him from you. And then, Lord, you would take those words and speak to our hearts, that it would mold us and make us into the image of your son, Christ. We thank you and praise you for that. Be magnified in this service, Lord. Receive the honor and glory that is due your name. 
We worship you this morning in spirit and in truth, for you are indeed a good, great God. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please, as we worship together? Jesus set me free. 
morning. I uh, just want to start off by saying thank you very much for the, uh, the prayers. I'm very humbled and gracious. This is a lot more people than speaking into a mirror. So we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, but no, I'm, I'm very happy to be here and grateful for the opportunity. So just a little bit about myself in case we haven't um, had the opportunity to meet. My name's Noah Deese, as uh, Pastor Knight has said. I, um, I do go. I'm a rising senior at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. So uh, go Heels, uh, majoring, or attempting, I guess, to major in economics. Um, but this summer, I've had the pleasure of interning here at the church, and I've, I've really enjoyed the opportunities I've had and just getting to give back the pits what I've been given. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew 16, uh, verses 13 through 28. And so as you turn there, if you wouldn't mind just standing for the reading of God's word in reverence to him. All right. Matthew writes in verse 13, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you once again for this opportunity I have. Um, Please calm any nerves and just please hide me behind the cross. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've done for all of us and and the gift you've given us, Lord. I just pray that you would open hearts and open ears and just please uh, help me to be a vessel, Lord, for you. In your name, amen. You can be seated. So when preparing for this message, I noticed, as many I'm sure of you may have noticed, that this section, the section of this passage has three different little subsections. And so today, my, my, my goal is to have a point of learning for each of these sections, and then just include some other verses as well as personal examples that I feel like support this. So when I was preparing, uh, I think I timed it at two hours, so we'll, uh, <laughs> hopefully I'll get you out on time, but just kidding, I did not go for that long, nor would I really want to. But um, so the first section of verses we see is um, the verses 13 through 20. And so the main point I would want us to see through this section as we just read it is that each of us must choose who God is to us, and our choice will affect the rest of our lives. Now this seems simple, right? It could be a yes or no answer. Not so easy. Each of us daily has to make a conscious decision on who the Lord is. Each of us must decide what level of importance he holds in our lives, and also decide who he is in our life. Do we view him as just a good teacher, a moral figure, Do we view him as savior, or maybe do we not know him? But as a Christian, it's important to understand and see that the Lord must be Lord over all of your life. It can't be a 60-40. It can't be, all right, Lord, I got all of this under control, but if you can answer this one prayer for me, we're good. And it can't be that just I give him partial and I control part of my life. We have to give it all to him and place him number one in our life and then live our lives for him. Matthew writes a couple chapters before, in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, and he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So now we see in this verse that it, it says money specifically, but I really feel like you can place anything in that second spot. You cannot serve God in academics. You cannot serve God in your job. You cannot serve God in a relationship. Now, please hear me when I say that none of these things in and of themselves are wrong. We're not called as Christians to take ourselves out of society and just live together waiting for the Lord. And we shouldn't cut our ties, but the moment something of this world becomes more than a blessing from the Lord, you and I need to take a serious step back and see where we've placed our faith and our identity in our lives. Exodus 23 says, you shall have no other gods before me. Also throughout the Bible, we're told to not have idols before the Lord and keep nothing else above him. Now for me, whenever I, I think of what an idol might be, I generally think of like an Indiana Jones at the beginning where you have that little golden statue that he's trying to find the artifact. However, in today's society, an idol is no longer just a carved image. An idol can be anything from the Lord that he has blessed us with that we have decided is now important than the Lord himself. So, and, and as a Christian, our identity should be found in the Lord. The things of the Lord should pervade and pour out in our lives. And now I'd love to stand here before you and say that my eyes have always been on the Lord. and He's always been in the number one spot of my life, but that would be lying. And that's not good to do, especially here. Um, <laughs> but when I was heading from eighth grade into high school, I was talking to my parents and I, made, I set a goal for myself. I said, I want to be number one in my class when I get to senior year. Now... That's, that's freshman year. A lot can happen in four years. And I didn't know what was going to happen at that point. I didn't really expect it to happen. But freshman year passed, and it was pretty good. And then 10th grade passed, and it was pretty good. And we got to 11th grade, and by this time, a friend and I knew relatively that he and I were in the top of the class academically. We were taking the same APs. We were taking all the same classes together, and so we started to get a little bit competitive. Now, we never fought, we never lost our friendship over it, but it came to a point where we were kind of like checking grades with each each other 
and seeing where we were, because we both wanted valedictorian. And so by the end of it, it was really cool because I was number one and he was number two, so we had this great opportunity, <laughs> especially for me. Um, but it would be an understatement to say that academics were very important to me in high school. Thankfully, I didn't give my whole life to it, but much of my time during high school went toward academics. And I decided to focus on it versus a lot of extracurriculars at school. So now, the Lord has an, has an interesting way of teaching us things. Let's flash forward to uh, UNC, my first semester. If you're a college student, 16 hours in your first semester is not the best decision to take. I learned that the hard way. But I felt confident. I had just come out of a really strong academic, like I felt really strong in my academics, and I was like, all right, this can't be that hard. College can be easy. And then the first exam rolls around for my class, Econ 101, an introduction to micro and macroeconomics. The first exam rolls around, and this is 25% of my grade. Now, I've never seen a test that accounts for 25% of my grade in a class. But I'm like, all right, we'll, we'll do fine. I get a 66. <laughs> now, that's a gut punch, because I'm like, I've never done this bad on a test before. But I'm like, okay, maybe this is just me getting used to college. I'm just getting used to the time. The next one will come around, and we'll be good. The next time comes around, and I get a 70. And so now, 50% of my grade averages at a 68.5, which is a D plus. And this class is a prereq for many other classes I'm going to have to take at UNC. And so now, things are heating up. The class is 50% of my grade is gone, and I'm not in a good spot standing class-wise. So at this point, I calculated out as many college students do to see the bare minimum we can get on a final. I need a 63 to get a C average in the class. I get a 62. <laughs> now, thankfully, through rounding, or I don't know what the teacher decided, but I did get a C, and it worked out. But <laughs> I was going home happy to have a C. This is just a new thing for me. And I remember leaving and just grateful. And I learned that having intelligence and academic ab abilities is a blessing. But I also learned that I had put my identity in the fact that I was number one, or that my academics were where I was good at. It was this experience taught me that I had put so much time and effort into academics that it had to become the first place in my life. If you ever think about like the first, second, and third place at the Olympics, it had now taken number one. My life had started to revolve around my academics instead of revolving around the Lord. So I ask you, where do you find your identity? The moment you or I put our identity and faith in something of this world, our job, academics, athletics, a relationship, a person, is the moment we put our identity and faith in something that can be gone in an instance. One difficult class, academic prowess is gone. One layoff or bankruptcy, your job is gone. One argument or problem, a relationship can be broken. In the blink of an eye, our identity can be shattered and our confidence ruined. However, if we find our faith and identity in the Lord, we put our faith and identity in someone who will never change, no matter what this world throws at us. A.W. Tozer has said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so after talking about this, I want to move on to the second section, which is verses 21 through 23. What I hope you can see from this section is that we must discern the Lord's voice and cling to it. Only by knowing who he is will we, see, will we stay on the narrow road. We see here that Jesus starts to tell his disciples what he's going to suffer and how things are going to happen and how he's going to have to go to Jerusalem and face persecution and, and death. We then see that for some reason Peter decides to rebuke Jesus. Now, I don't know where he got that audacity, but he's now rebuking the Messiah and his leader who he is faithfully following. And when studying, I came up on some notes that say, in the context of the Jewish master-disciple relationship, it would have been audacious for a disciple to correct his master, let alone rebuke him. This shall never happen to you. Peter, like most of his fellow Jews, resisted the idea that the Messiah must suffer, even though it is found in the Old Testament. And so this brings me to a sub-point that I think is very important to take away from this section of verses. The plans of the Lord may seem illogical in man's eyes. Peter probably meant well here. He probably thought, no, Lord, you have 
12 men around you who love you. You have crowds and crowds who will protect you and save you if anything goes wrong. And he probably didn't mean to come across strongly at Jesus in this manner. But we see that Jesus knows the ultimate plan. And we see that he is going to trust the Lord in his plan so that we can all experience salvation and freedom from sin. Could you imagine the difficulty here, though? Jesus is probably like, you know what, Peter, you're right. I have power over everything here. I can do whatever I want, and I don't have to face this. This shouldn't be my battle. But he sets the Lord's plan above anything society would say is the right plan or logic. But can you imagine Peter here, though? Your master who you love responds with, get behind me, Satan. That's pretty, pretty serious. Any pride that Peter has in himself at this point has got to be gone. But we see that Jesus has set his mind on the things of God and is trusting in his plan. Are you trusting in the Lord's plan today? Again, I would love to say that I always trust in the Lord's plan and that this happens in my life, but it's not always that way. And through, kind of through college and everything, I've noticed that society has a measure of success. And they also have this measure of normalcy, or what I like to call the plan. This plan is that you graduate high school, you go to a well-known college, you use every single opportunity there to advance your career, you graduate, start a high-paying job, make enough money, and hope that you can retire on time. Maybe along the way you find a spouse and you can start a family. And society has created this cookie-cutter look at what success is. And by no means am I saying that this is the wrong path if that's what the Lord has in front of you. But we're not all going to walk the same path. He may have very different paths for our lives. And this is why it's very important to pray and seek the Lord's plan for our lives. I will tell you that every time in my life where I have had to make a big decision, which mainly is like with college and then with, with opportunities throughout it, I don't always do well on the patient side of things. But every time I've prayed about something and received an answer from the Lord, I felt a peace like no other. And so even just choosing how to spend this summer was a difficult de decision. Um, this past spring, I started looking into internships and considering where to go. And normally, from my understanding, especially in the business realm, the junior and the senior year is the, the internship that jumpstarts your career and hopefully gets a return offer. And it helps with networking and it helps you with all this stuff. So I've been applying to a couple, uh, which is two, and it came down to two. Um, so I've been invited back for a final round of interviews with a pretty large corporation in Charlotte. And I didn't know what to do. And I prayed about it, and I talked with family about it. But, and I was hoping that the Lord would maybe take one away so I knew which one was the right path to take. But it came down to the two. And it was a difficult decision, because I felt like since I had graduated youth, I wanted to come back and, and work with Pitts. But at the same time, this other option by every, every worldly standard was a no-brainer answer. One thing I had pondered, even talked to family about, was that this career opportunity by many other worldly standards was a stronger option. Potential networking, career advancement, academic credit, etc. I also knew that I would generally receive some attaboys for getting in the business realm and getting an internship. But I also had this one. I had the opportunity to give back to Pitts, work with the youth one more time, and potentially have opportunities to preach like today. Now obviously, and it was, it was just a difficult decision to make, and obviously, you can see that I chose the business internship. But um, the point I want you to see through this is that the Lord's plans for our lives may take us to places we don't expect. It may take us in the direct opposite of what society would say is the right choice. But I also want you to know that success in the Lord's kingdom is far greater and more fulfilling than the image of success in society today. And we don't have to know the answers. We don't have to see the whole picture. We just have to have faith. And this is why it's vitally important to listen, to cling to the word of, and the voice of the Lord. Matthew 7, 13 through 14 says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. I think this verse goes along this passage in a couple of different ways. First, I think it shows that Jesus points out that these men were revealed this by God. When Peter professes Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus says that flesh hasn't shown you this, the Lord has. Peter had to listen to the Lord. Second, Jesus himself talks about setting our thoughts on, on things above. This is the narrow gate, setting our gaze on the Lord 
and clinging to everything he says for our lives. However, trusting the Lord and listening to him and following him will often take us against the grain. And so this leads me to my last point, this last section of Matthew 16. It says, and this point I came up with, is that a Christian's walk is never promised to be easy and will be countercultural to society. The verses here explain why this occurs. First, we have to give up our fleshly desires to follow the, the ways of this world and follow the Lord. This means we have to daily die to self and take up our cross and follow him. We also have to give up our pursuits of the things of the world and see that they won't offer us any eternal value or fulfillment. David Platt in his book, A Compassionate Call to Counterculture, writes, the gospel of Christ is not a call to cultural compromise in the face of fear. It's a call to countercultural crucifixion, death to self in the face of earthly opposition for the sake of eternal reward. I think a good question to ask ourselves today is, would a non-believer look at us and say, there's something different about you? Or would he look at us and think that we're, all just, we're just the same as everyone? Do we come to church, make sure we check the box, and then go back Monday through Wednesday and live like nothing happened? And then come back to church and make sure we look like we're living the Christian life? Or do we walk, our, walk out our faith? And this is difficult, right? Our flesh wants to live in this world. We're constantly warring with our flesh. This isn't something that's easy. If it was easy, everyone could do it. And this is where I think a common societal misconception comes into play. I think society and many people view Christianity and the Bible as a religion full of rules to follow, and that each of us daily does an examination of ourselves and checks off a box if we were a good or bad Christian that day. And that, can be, that can't be farther from the truth. First, Christianity is a relationship. Our relationship, once we have turned from our fleshly desires, is following the God of the universe. And second, the Bible isn't a rule book. It's not like UNC's honor code that we all sign and hope that we don't accidentally mess up something. The Bible is the divinely inspired word of God, written by men to us to lead us through a fallen world. It's a love letter to us, God's love to us. And it isn't a rule book to keep us from enjoying fun in this life. It's guidance to live our lives by so that we don't look for enjoyment and find emptiness. But again, this is difficult. And there are two reasons among many that I feel like this is difficult. One of those is that sin can be easily justified in the world's eyes. I mean, as long as you and I don't commit a crime, there's not much else the world is going to look at and say, oh, that's wrong. The way we live our lives is our choice. Pornography, while looked down on times, is fine because that's your choice. Foul language is now considered normal and it's even a cool factor. Greed is considered working harder than others and making more. Most of all, sin is easily justified in the world's eyes. And as Christians, it's difficult to keep our perspective because this world is getting farther and farther from the Lord. And there are times where I felt uncomfortable sharing my views or talking about my religion because maybe someone will look down on me or label me a certain way. Woe is me. Paul and the apostles, the early church, even modern missionaries, among others, faced or faced persecution, torture, and death for their faith. And I feel uncomfortable about praying in public or talking about my faith. How foolish I am. This is why it's important to know what we know and stay grounded in the word of God. But we have to be careful. It's very easy to start letting things slip in. Maybe saying things like, well, this is a gray area that the Bible doesn't really speak on, so maybe it's okay. This is a smaller sin, or maybe this is okay. Maybe a lot of people do it. When we start to let things happen or let sin slip into our lives, over time, our priorities and our thoughts will slowly morph to justify that sin. Everyone is doing, everyone is watching this show, so I should watch it. Everyone is doing this, I can do it. Even Christians are doing this, so it must be right. I'll tell you right now that I personally feel society has, has kind of changed the, the meaning of Christian to just make people feel good. In society today, there are many times where there's a difference between being a Christian and being a follower of Christ. But again, Satan is good at what he does. So, this is going to be a weird example, but I'm going to try to relay it and make sure it works. So has anyone in here built a snowman before? I'm sure many of you have, and I hope you have. So this past semester at, at Chapel Hill, we had a couple of really good snows. We had three snow weekends in a row, 
And that's very, very awkward. Like, we never get that. Like, I had maybe one my whole freshman year. And so some friends and I were able to go out on the fields and make a couple of snowmen. And so to start it, you start with like a small snowball, and then you roll it and roll it and roll it. And as, as you roll it, it picks up more, more snow, and it gets bigger. And each time it gets bigger, it's harder to roll. So when we did it, it got to a point where my friend and I basically had to deadlift this snowball to get it on top and stack it and make a snowman. I feel like this is very symbolic of sin. I can do this sin one time. You roll it, it gets a little bigger. Then next time, my friends are doing it, so it's okay. It gets a little bigger. You add more snow. And maybe then you go, well, I've done it this much. Nothing bad has happened, so it's good. Then you get to a point where that sin is so large that you have no power or ability to move it. It's now become a weight in your life. An old Casting Crown song used lyrics that are very applicable to this idea. They read, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray. And thoughts invade, choices made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. Sin is easy. It's comfortable. At times it feels fun. But over time it builds and builds until we aren't able to handle or fix it. But this is the beauty of the gospel. We don't have to carry this weight. All we have to do is turn to the Lord. Matthew writes in chapter 11, 28 through 30, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Anything, absolutely anything we are facing is not too big for God. We just have to choose to follow him and give him our burdens. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is right there. Are you willing to let go of this world and follow him? But again, that's not always easy. Another thing I want us to see is that the things of this world will promise you everything and give you absolutely nothing. We all face a choice because the things of this world promise happiness, pleasure, fulfillment, joy. But in the end, the only thing they'll leave is guilt, loss, and emptiness. King Solomon had everything anyone could ask for, yet he said it was all vanity. So if you can help me think for a minute, what I'm going to list off some, some movies. And I, if you want to respond, you can. If not, I'll answer. But I want to ask you what it has in common. Dumb and Dumber, The Grinch, and The Truman Show. If you have an answer, you can shout it out. If not, I can answer it. Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey is a known comedian and actor and a theologian. Just kidding, not really. But um, <laughs> there's a clip of him giving a commencement speech a couple years ago that I thought is very, very thought-provoking. He said, I've often said that I wish people could realize all their dreams and wealth and fame so that they could see that it's not where you're going to find your sense of completion. Now, I don't think he's, I, I don't know that he's a Christian, but it goes to show that he sees it. This man has it all. He has the wealth, the no, notoriety. In society eyes, he's peaked. People are going to remember him for years. But what does he say? It won't bring completion. And it's sad that he's so close to seeing the void that we all have, and he just doesn't see the need for the Lord. And unfortunately, this is how so many people are. They think that, there's something better in this world, but they don't know what that is. Or maybe they think by being a good enough person or doing enough in this life, giving enough, coming to church enough, will earn them some semblance of peace. But nothing, absolutely nothing in this world will fill the void we have in the need for the Savior. So recently, another just personal example, if you haven't followed college sports, Caroline and Duke faced off in the final four of the NCAA men's bracket. It garnered an average of 16.3 million viewers and was the most watched NCAA men's Final Four telecast on any network since 2017. For me, I watched this game in Chapel Hill surrounded by the hype, the anxiety, and friends and other fans. Duke and Carolina have a lot of history if you don't know. And in the end, Carolina pulled out the dub. They beat Coach K in his last coaching game and sent him home on a loss. And we celebrated. I was able to rush Franklin Street and feel the hype and the enjoyment. We felt this for a couple days. 
But then we fast forward to the national championship. And I had the opportunity to watch this one, again surrounded by the excitement and the anxiety with friends in the Dean Dome. If you don't know what that is, that's the Carolina basketball dome. And by the end of it, Carolina was up at half pretty handily. And by the end of it, Carolina felt a heartbreaking loss in the final minutes. The feeling when my friends and I walked out of the Dean Dome has got to be one of the most somber moments I've ever experienced. All the hype, all the excitement, all the fun of the, the victory we had just got was squelched just days later by one split-second loss. I think this story can show how sin is. In the moment or maybe in a time, life is great. The experience is awesome. Whatever it is, I'm fulfilled. And then within a time, it's gone. And you and I are left with the after effects of guilt, sadness, and emptiness. The things of this world will imitate the Lord by trying to promise fulfillment, but fail in their promise. The Lord is the only one who can bring fulfillment and complete joy and peace in this life. So my final closing moments, I wanted to redirect us back to this first point that we, we looked over. It was that each of us must choose who God is to us, and our choice will affect the rest of our lives. Now, we all have to make that choice. I can't choose for you, and you can't cover for me. Jesus didn't ask Peter to answer for John, or for John to answer for Matthew, or the list goes on. He asked each of them. So is the Lord just a moral person? Is he a good teacher? Is he a good man? Or is he the Lord of your life? Or is he only the Lord of your life, and only good when things are good? But then once things start to get difficult and once they start to get bad, God's no longer so good. This is what Jesus says here. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. In no way, shape, or form does he ever say things are going to be easy or that the Christian walk is going to promise something that's going to be fun all the time. A.W. Tozer again writes, to be right with God has often meant to be in trouble with men. Jesus himself walked the sinner's path. He was tortured, spit on, verbally scorned, and nailed to a cross all for you and me. We have to choose to follow him in the good and the bad. So at least three times in, since high school, I remember giving a speech in front of a crowd and ending it with the phrase, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And two of those were during my senior year. Once was when I spoke at a chapel at Northside. I, gave, I was able to prepare a message kind of like today, and I finished bringing the message with the encouragement of that phrase. And then the second time was at the end of my valedictorian speech. Again, I was speaking in front of the crowd. I once again finished my speech with the encouragement of that phrase. And in these times, it was easy. I knew I was doing pretty good academically. I knew I was heading to college. And I was about to get out of high school and be done. It was all great. And it was easy to say that phrase. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. The third time I said that phrase was in a speech I gave at my father's funeral last July. About mid-July last year, my dad was sick with complications from COVID and had to go to the hospital. And he was there for a couple weeks, and then on July 29th, early in the morning, my dad passed away. And at the end of that speech I gave, I once again said, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. And for the last 353 days, I've had to grapple with that idea. God, why my dad? He was a, a good father involved here at Pitts, a great manager, a loving husband. Why him? Why now? It's been difficult. It's not been easy. Again, I'd be lying. And even more difficult is that the world would justify any lashing out I did in anger. I could get angry. I could curse God. I could walk away from my faith, and the world would 100% say, sure, why would a good God take away my father who loved us, but more importantly, loved the Lord? But I'm reminded of how the Lord answers Job when he was questioning God of everything that happened in his life. The Lord answers in Job 38.4, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Who am I to question the God of this universe about why his plans took my dad in this moment? And all the anger and all the lashing out I do will leave me with nothing but guilt, isolation from the community most important to me, and would ultimately dishonor my father and the faith he had in the Lord. So when I'm questioned, or when I doubted the Lord, I also have to look at it in perspective from this. Why was I blessed with 20 years of having a great earthly father? I know people who have very strained relationships who never even knew their earthly father. But I was blessed with a great one. How can I get angry at that? 
but I'm also reminded and challenged by the Lord because at least three times I've said God is good all the time and all the time God is good. And for this past year, I've had to decide for myself if I truly meant that statement or if I was just hoping to sound like a good, strong Christian in front of a crowd to get some accolades. So in closing, I would love and hope you can reflect on this passage. And if Jesus came up to you today and asked you the question, who do you say that I am? What would your answer be? Thank you.